this right here is On the Matter of Systems, a tabletop role-playing show where every month, every month, your hosts will critically engage with some RPG theory and some RPG design. I'm your host, B, you know, like a honeybee, and 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 with me as always, it's my lovely, lovely co-host, BW. Hi, BW. Hello, I am the lovely co-host, BW, and I have a question for you, B. What's what's your question, BW? How much do you love calendars and scheduling? I fucking hate them. What's up? Great. Me too. <laughs> I also love them. Uh, so, uh, dear dear listener of ours, uh, we're gonna take a, a couple seconds and talk a little bit about some scheduling. Uh, producer hat bw has joined the chat hello uh i'm wearing a producer (laughs) hat right now um yeah so this is episode 7.1 uh so this will be our seventh month of recording uh and or releasing podcasts in 2023 uh and we're gonna do uh on the matter of systems as a seasonal show so seasons will probably be about nine months which means uh we will be doing three more months of episodes right so um 7.1, 7.2, 8.1, 8.2, 9.1, 9.2, and then, and then, my friends, we will take a break. Radio fucking silence. Yeah, we will take a break (laughs) and work on getting our buffer back. I'm going to eventually have to figure out what my life is. Uh, But yeah, so uh, we'll be, we'll be putting stuff out for another, another few months this year, and then we'll take a break and we'll be back sometime next year. See, I thought we were what we were doing um, because I'm an early October baby and you're a late December baby. Mm-hmm. It was we we're going to do our usual bacchanal that we do every year that we we done every year since we knew each other. Where between my birthday and your birthday, we just go, you know, travel the world, get faded in different locales, mm-hmm. all that, all mm-hmm. the all the fun stuff we usually do. I'm hearing I'm hearing differently though. We're like resting. I, no, but that's a secret. We don't tell people. Oh that. shit! Yeah. I wish somebody edited this thing. <laughs> yeah, I know. Me too. Uh, no. Yeah. No, we're going to, we need time for a Bacchanal. That's for sure. True. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, um, cool. So shall we, uh, shall we get into the regular episode? I guess so. What are we doing today? You know, so last time we talked about Alone Among the Stars by Takamo Okada and uh, Doskval Interstitials, the, uh, what was it? Their Invitations to Play, I believe, by I believe uh, so. yes. Matthew R.F. Balashek. Um, and sort of following from that, I suggested we read a few things. Um, we, re- we So for this episode, we read a short thread on Twitter by John R. Harness. Uh, we read an abstract. Uh, that, that thread sort of defines lyric games. Uh, we read an abstract for a paper that was to be presented at DIGRA 2020 uh, called Lyric Games, Genealogy of an Online, quote-unquote, Physical Games Scene by Evan Torner. And then... We sort of, as our piece de resistance, read uh, GURPS, uh, which is an acronym for Games Unruly Rending Piping Sense by Riverhouse Games. Uh, and Riverhouse Games, uh, just to quote them or, on, or him on it, uh, says, it, it is not a collection of game design anti-advice, hot takes, lyric games, and other nonsense. It represents my personal growth as a designer in 2019 and acts as a manifesto for my design goals in 2020. That's sort of on the uh, itch page. Um, and just to sort of quickly give little bios of, of our three authors here, um, 
uh, John R. Harness uh, is at Cartwheel on Twitter with no H. Um, he, uh, notable things, I think, for this conversation, at least, uh, he helped run the, sa- uh, the hashtag sad mech jam or the emotional mecha jam on, on Itch.io um, in January and February of 2019. Ta- Takamu Okada was the other person who ran it. Uh, that's uh, 177 games submitted and I think is a, a sort of landmark moment in Lyric Games. Um, more recently, he is the founder and editor of Knucklebone, a quarterly critical mag about analog role-playing games. Um, he's also run a uh, jam called the Troika Backgrounds Jam uh, that had 100 submissions to it, so has, has engaged in the world of Troika as well. Um, that's a that's uh, a cool idea for a jam. I, I, yeah. When I was reading through your notes earlier, I, I really liked that. I think that's a... Give, given the way backgrounds work in Troika, like, I just... It's just a, I don't know. It's just a very cool idea. Uh, makes me want to go and look at some of those submissions. Yeah, and I think I didn't really look into this, but I think they like compiled everything into a PDF um, that you can just like go read through all of them, um, which oh, is a good cool. idea. I mean, p- um, part of me wonders if this, if if it was in any way tied to the the recent new version of Troika Kickstarter that I mentioned. Um, oh right, yeah. I wonder if. But, uh, you know, if, know. if it's not directly related, then maybe inspired by that or um, inspirational to it, to it. I don't know. Yeah. Um, uh, John R. Harness is also a game developer. Um, <laughs> uh, some of his games have descriptions like uh, a not safe for work two player popper RPGs tra- or <laughs> two player RPG poppers trainer um, and a game about queer gangs killing fascists. So, um, hell yeah, I think I think we'd get along, um, which is kind of the uh, the vibe I've gotten off of all three of these people having looked into them more since suggesting we read these things. Um, Evan Torner, who wrote the abstract, um, is a game scholar, a film scholar, and a German and a scholar of German at the University of Cincinnati. He is one of the editors of Analog Game Studies, which is um, shocking that we haven't read anything from that yet. But maybe, you know, maybe in a future season. I mean, we do. We do also have two more episodes that you have to fill for this year. So. I, I've already got pr- a pretty good idea of what else we're reading. Oh, okay, <laughs> so, interesting. Yeah. Uh, he also co-edited a book in 2012 with BW's favorite game studies author, uh, William J. White, author of BW. Hit me with it off the dome. <laughs> I can't. There's literally no way. <laughs> uh, something about uh, f- forge and tabletop RPG design. Anyway, it's like, listen to our first episode. It was funny. It was, it's like, I remember it says like the forge is like the third to last word or phrase in there. And that always tripped me up because it's like, yeah, it's like, it starts with like, it starts with a subtitle and then ends with a title in my memory. (laughs) Um, Tabletop RPG design and theory and practice at the forge 2001 to 2012. Yes. Uh, um, I just looked it up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Evan has, has written a, a bunch of stuff that all seems seems really interesting and has edited stuff that seems really interesting as well. Um, and then finally, we have Riverhouse Games, who, read, who created GURPS, uh, <laughs> who, wrote, who wrote the GURPS that we're reading. Riverhouse has, Games has released like at least 40 games. Uh, the earliest date on the itch page I could see was 2017 so and, and still seems pretty active. Um, he's got Hot Gay Bro Dragons, Jellyfish Are Not Real, You Are a Rainbow, a game I personally very deeply love. And you can, you know, I think I mentioned this, you can listen to me go from being very confused and kind of like meh on it to having the most wonderful time in the world on an Island Demeter Season 1. Um, he also wrote uh, We Are But Worms, the game we have mentioned a few times that is a uh, single word RPG. In doing the research, I found out he had a podcast from like 2016 to 2021 called The Game Closet 
which uh, is, I, I just found it literally last night and I've listened to two and a half episodes and they fucking rule. Um, there's a, a fantastic episode between uh, Riverhouse and uh, John Harness uh, where they just talk about like going to glory holes and shit. And there's a an interview with Alex Roberts, um, which people may know from Backstory or the games like Starcrossed and, and a handful of other um, intimate games, um, in which Alex Roberts describes Chopin as uh, the malt liquor of uh, longing. This <laughs> um, is that a phrase that's stuck me. in my head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I get that. And then, yeah, so so also just sort of general context. Um, Harness's tweet that we're talking about is from October of 2019. Riverhouse Games' GURPS came out in February of 2020. Um, and then the DIGRA that uh, Evan Torner's article or abstract was, was supposed to be um, sort of spoken about at was meant to be in June of 2020. I did a little digging and it looks like the submission deadline for it would have been December 8th of 2019. So these are all coming out within three or four months of each other, even though they're not explicitly in conversation, but they are kind of explicitly in conversation because Harness and Riverhouse Games uh, clearly have known each other for a while. Um, Torner cites Harness's tweet in the abstract. So there's, there's it's all bubbling together. And then sort of the last thing I wanted to sort of mention, um, because this comes up across all three, um, is that the platform itch.io is, is a very important thing here. Harness mentions it. It's mentioned in the abstract. And it's, it's where um, GURPS is hosted. I did, the di- I did a little digging. I saw that uh, at least as... As least at late as late as 2016, the physical t- games tag existed on Twitch or on itch. Sorry, <laughs> wow. Um, it uh, it didn't seem to get very much attention until early 2019. This is related to the sad mech jam, the emotional mecha jam uh, stuff, and then the later tweet by Harness is sort of like talking about this specifically, this like movement where people started not just like being like, well, I made a board game or whatever and it's it's a print and play thing so i'm just going to put it on every marketplace available and itch comes up but a specific like set of designers migrate to itch.io as a place to um sell their games and talk to each other um and stuff like that i know anecdotally that the physical games tag got a huge bump um in june of 2020 with the bundle for racial justice and equality. Um, there's like a $5 bundle for some, I believe they were money was sent to the NAACP in response to the, the police murder of George Floyd. Um, it, the, it wasn't just tabletop role-playing games. There was a lot of like larger indie games, like larger indie video games in there, um, that ended up raising like $8 million in donations. And I know for my use, at least I, I still sort of just like, go find the spreadsheet that somebody made that just includes the the tabletop games in there and, and sort of download stuff. And I'm still sort of mining that uh, three years later. <laughs> um, and so, you know, um, uh, fuck 12. Um, fuck 12. And that's, uh, and that's the historical context is fuck 12. <laughs> just good. That's just good, uh, solid historical context all the time for everything in every possible situation. Um, yeah, I agree. Cool. I just uh, I just got curious because you're talking about timelines and looked. My first itch.io purchase mm-hmm. is from May of 2015. Mm, interesting. Um, and I have pretty like consistent purchases 
for basically all of the years after that. I would not have guessed that I, that my first uh, itch purchase was in 2015. Um, just somehow, anyway, time is weird. What was it? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I actually clicked away from the thing because <laughs> I didn't want it to distract me. I bought the Devs with Baltimore bundle. Okay. I oh, I got that too. Yeah. I don't remember what it was for. Um, oh, it, it was Ferguson. Okay. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. And this, cause this one, this is, this is, there was a bunch of Avery shit in it, which is why I was excited about it. Oh, and the Yogg, which I was interested in. Anyway, this is a distraction. Uh, Sokoban. Uh, yeah. My, I look, looks like my earliest one is 2014, uh, October 19th at, uh, 1056 <laughs> <laughs> uh, for $5. Nice. Uh, I bought uh, Kirza by Kitty Horror Show. Uh, nice. Yeah. Weird. Uh, it's just been around for a minute, huh? <laughs> yeah, it has uh, for sure. But I mean, I think you. I think everything you said is still right, right? Like uh, the the thing I remember is that itch was a small thing that people were still a little confused about, and then uh, that bundle for racial justice happened, and suddenly it felt like everybody knew what itch was. <laughs> um, yeah, and I mean, you know, I could. We could, I mean, me dro- name dropping Kitty Horror Show right goes takes us right back to the Avery Alder episode, right, and the and the stuff that was happening in 2014 in video games and the the queer movements that were happening, especially in, in digital indie games, uh, where a lot of the sort of uh, the the first people on itch that I was aware of, um, as opposed to there were like other sort of competitors at the time, like Game Jolt. Um, which is also still around and still does cool stuff, but like itch very quickly became the place to, to make your weird shit and put it on the internet as opposed to game jolt, which was like, you can make your weird shit and put it up there, but also it's going to ser- primarily surface like asset rips and games by literal children. And like, that's cool too, but it wasn't a scene in the same way that itch started to seem like in those first couple of years. And not like it is now, where things like lyric games are coming are are explicitly being named in academic papers as like as, as being released on itch. <laughs> cool. What are so what what are we what are we doing? Normally, you would ask me about about an argument, but there's three things, and none <laughs> none of them are an argument. Um, the abstract kind of is an argument. <laughs> The, the abstract is absolutely arguing for a specific reconstruction of a lineage. Absolutely, you're right. Yeah. Um, but what uh, what we what I am doing or trying to do <laughs> was throw to you for a seamless yes. transition into you giving sort of the high level context of these three things and why we're reading them in particular. Listener, if I if I ever allow a seamless transition to happen, please uh, please just, just burn my just, house down. Just but there's cele- other people just who celebrate it and just uh, <laughs> just be like, wow, BW finally got that seamless transition in and beat no, just, it. Fuck uh, it up. Just cool. Tackle me on the street next time you see me. <laughs> just like celebrate, clap your hands and go, wow, congrats, BW. Nice job. And I go, thanks. <laughs> and then we thumbs up each other. Well, okay. So when you're in the Bay, tackle me. When you're in uh, when you're in the Chicago area, I just give BW a big old round of applause. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so why um, are we reading I things? Chose these because <laughs> um, I think I mentioned last time, but um, I had pulled GURPS as our sort of other option instead of reading the the um, 
whatever the, Han, the specific title was, the, yeah, the, the Keith Han, Han piece about post. the OSR. And we we went with the OSR. And then as we did that, um, you know, we had our, <laughs> our thoughts and feelings about those posts. I I think one of the things I took away from that was like, like we talked about, right? Like having some historical context for these things is useful. Um, and so the more I thought about just doing uh, games, unruly, rending, piping sense, um, it felt like very... It felt like a thing we could t- have a good conversation about, but that, that might be um, benefited by context, <laughs> basically. Um, so I sort of dug around and I found the the John R. Harness tweet, and I was like, "Oh yeah, we can just we can just throw that in there to like sort of give us um, a broader sense of lyric gains before we dig into this like stew of actual games and design advice and you know theoretical essays." and um polemic um and then i i I kept digging because i was like i wonder if there's like another thing we can sort of throw in here and i found the evan torner piece so the the the, at the broad level what i kind of was trying to do even though i couldn't articulate it as such until fairly recently was to take gurps and situate it in the context of like what the fuck is a lyric lyric game um and i think both harness's tweet and Torner's abstract sort of argue for slightly different, especially lineages of, of lyric games while sort of illuminating them in a really useful way. Um, so I figured we'd talk just like touch on the, the definition and the abstract and then sort of dig into to the GURP system. Does that, does that sound good to you? Uh, yeah, except for the last thing you said, which is I wouldn't, system? I wouldn't call GURPS a system. <laughs> I would call GURPS a collection of things. <laughs> Um, but it, it's definitely not a system in the way we use the word system usually to talk about a game. Um, but yeah, you've, you've turned my, uh, my, my fallow segment against me. It's true. Oh. That's what I love to do. Um, yeah, I mean, I like, I think that all makes sense. Uh, I enjoyed reading all, all three of these things. I think they're all super interesting. Um, yeah. So should we start with the definition? Yeah. Do you wanna do you wanna read it so I can take a sip of water and and clear my very dry throat? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I I will read. I, I'm just gonna. I think I might just read all four of the tweets because they're not that long altogether. Um, yeah. So uh, these are these are the four tweets uh, from uh, John R. Harness. Uh, so first off, taps Mike. The best descriptive term I've come up with for the current crop of indie-ish, story-ish, micro-ish games, like most of what is flooding into itch right now, is lyric. Like lyric poetry or lyric painting. With overlap, but in the main, distinct from what I call the post-OSR. Second tweet. These both I would set next to the unsatisfying catch-all of, quote, trad, as well as, quote, story games, meaning post-forge, to broadly describe the field. Am I missing any mountains? Thinking out loud. This is just, <laughs> I just really, I just really appreciate how John R. R. Harness puts together tweets. I will say. <laughs> um, and so then, third tweet: Why lyric? Because of the emphasis on emotion, maybe sentimentalism, at mm. tailor-made scale. No emphasis on being made for everyone or for a general audience. Emotionally bespoke, borne out by the absolute burst of single-player games slash quote experiences. And then fourth final tweet in the thread also the idea that some lyric games text teeter on the edge of playability and sometimes even acknowledge that their primary mode is to be read as literature that the reading is the playing is the engagement next to or even more than table play again 
quote, lyric. Um, I did a little bit of, I did some slight editorializing in my reading. <laughs> but but yeah. True. So that's the definition that Harness proposes for lyric game. The, both the, the name and the definition, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and I think, yeah, I think we both broadly agree that this is this is both in the text itself and in the sort of like uh, community and ethos that it has uh, subsequently produced over the last four years. Um, extremely useful. Yeah, like, this is just a fucking good ass, good ass name and good ass definition. <laughs> yeah, like I, I really, I I really like this definition. I mean, we, so we talked a bit about this but like I, I really like this definition because it I think it's both really pr- like productive right and useful um but also because it's we have talked at various times on this podcast about like right like we talked about this on the cannibal halfling episode right of like it's a blog post so like we're gonna take what Seamus is writing seriously but also like we need to keep in mind that this is a blog post this is not like right this isn't a peer review journal and it like Seamus wasn't like trying to write capital T grand theory etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm-hmm. and so I think it's important right it's important to keep that in mind and I think in 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 the context of this is a this is a tweet thread right where like you know your you, tweets are mostly kind of informal etc but like even so these this is very like i think pretty specific language and pretty evocative language um mm-hmm. and like does a good job of like drawing some boundaries that are both useful right like actually useful boundaries but that aren't so rigid that you feel like like i don't for instance get caught up on like well why did you draw the boundary there <laughs> right like mm-hmm. <laughs> um it's just uh, yeah i i was very impressed i thought this was i thought this was like just a a very cool example and a very impressive example of like sort of informal thinking in community and like how do we talk about this thing that we know we're all doing like can i name it in a way that's useful and productive mm-hmm. um i just thought it was done really well in general. So, like, that's my overall take on the definition is I really like it. Um, yeah. And, and I think it's and, useful. And I think the other thing, like, that impressed me was, like, because, you know, I I have mentioned this before. I have a BA in, in literature. Um, I So, lyric poetry does mean a pretty specific thing to me, um, even though it's it's been a decade since I, like, did the work there. And so, like, digging back into some older stuff that I know was important to me at the time the the comparison to lyric poetry i think holds up like pretty fucking well uh, but the first time i read this i was like oh yeah lyric painting's probably a thing and kind of just like <laughs> skipped over it mm-hmm. whereas i think you had the exact opposite reaction i assume or uh uh i probably not the exact opposite i just so like my engagement with poetry has nothing to do with formalism in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. because i didn't study literature so like i got to poetry by hating poetry for a really long time (laughs) and thinking it was mostly pretty uninteresting and like think of like my academic background analytic philosophy right really clear language that's all about being super explicit and not and so like i would read poetry and be like what the fuck are you doing here and it really (laughs) like it it was just me finally like honestly a big a big person for me was ashbury where i was like oh i get it you're putting words together and it's kind of fun okay cool (laughs) um (laughs) But, like, I know lyric painting because I am a nerd about art. And, like, Mm -hmm. some of the first art that meant anything to me was abstract expressionist stuff. And then I became very interested in the sort of constant 
back and forths that happen, right? So like lyrical lyric ab- lyrical abstraction or like lyric painting often is it, it, the way to understand it is as a reaction to things that was ha- mm-hmm. that were happening, right? Which feels very similar to what's happening here with lyric games, right? Like yeah. This is very much a reaction. So yeah, it uh, like there there was some depth there to like the choosing of lyric that I think when you dig in it it seems to still like be pretty interesting and pretty evocative. Uh, yeah, there's like a foundation. Exactly. To this. Yeah. yeah. In, in a way that like I was, I was all, I like, I had already bought in. I was on board, right? But like reading through your notes that you put in our doc, I was like, oh, that's cool. Like there's actually <laughs> like some like some real solid ground there. That, like I personally didn't need because I was just like, yeah, like this is just useful. Like I agree. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But yeah, is there anything anything else about l- lyric in particular? Because you have some notes here that. Well, yeah. So I I don't know. <laughs> I love that we we talked uh, we talked a little bit off of uh, off of the episode, and we both talked, and you um, especially were saying like that you were thinking about how we could have done a full episode on any of these three things. Yeah, and I'm worried we are uh, getting into doing an episode on this one. Um, but like, I guess at the very high level, um, or, or like my like very abbreviated history is like I. Primarily learned about lyric poetry through um, Petrarch's sonnets about Laura and um, and sort of you know giving my again abbreviated sort of understanding of this from from a dozen years ago or whatever um, the the lyric poetry especially in in Europe uh, was a sort of immediate predecessor of the Enlightenment especially Petrarch's uh, 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 sonnets because they were. Uh, in addition to being very pretty little things about looking at a very pretty woman and feeling long- longing or whatever, um, speaking of longing, they were a new way of uh, sort of, of subjectivating the self, of, of, of thinking about the, 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 you know, the capital letter I um, that led to a bunch of, or that um, maybe led to, but maybe just um, uh, prefigured a number of, of advancements uh "Quote unquote" uh, in in science and and things like that, and so where where I guess um, you know abstract expressionism and and tachism tach I didn't I haven't heard this word but the the European equivalent of abstract expressionism um, some also, sometimes also called lyrical abstraction is sort of often pointed to as a response to World War II in many ways. Lyrical poetry is you know that people also trace it all the way back to Sappho. Or to to Kayyem and Hafiz. Um, this is just one particular um, argument that I have come to understand. Um, it, it's sort of almost a, a pre- predecessor to the the larger reaction. It is the ending of the medieval age, I guess. That went longer than I meant it to. What is uh, what is the what is the is that the motto of the show? <laughs> May, I mean, the, maybe, yeah. The uh, yeah. go longer than meant. Uh, anyway, I mean, so I think I think the thing that that I found especially interesting about this, like the the historical resonance kind of stuff, was specifically like the um, American version of lyrical abstraction, which was mm-hmm. specifically. in part responding to the stuff I like most. (laughs) So like Mm -hmm. lyrical, like lyrical abstraction, like as a painting movement in America was essentially people being like, Oh my God, these people are building boxes. Can we just fucking paint things again? Like it was genuinely, (laughs) it was people responding to like conceptualism and minimalism 
Mm. And those sorts of forces, which most of those people were also reacting against the initial abstract expressionism in America, right? Like, <laughs> and so I became really interested in this sort of movement in in art stuff because uh, I really love the painter Philip Gaston. I guess I've never actually tried to say his name out loud in a way that people uh-huh. will hear it. That's probably <laughs> mostly right. But like, he's really famous for having multiple periods in his painting where he moved very wildly from like pure abstraction to like uh, just illustration. I mean, like just characters <laughs> and like drawings and like completely opposite, right? And then uh, sort of going back and forth between those at various times and like, there's like a famous story about the composer Morton Feldman, like when Gaston went back to actually having like representa- representational stuff in his paintings, Feldman was like, you're like, this is a betrayal. Like we're not friends anymore. Like people took this stuff <laughs> so seriously um, mm-hmm. in a way that I find really fascinating. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, we, we don't have to talk more about the definition then. It, I think for the most part, I was just curious to hear you talk about the some of the stuff around poetry. I, I'm going to read a thing from your note. Um, okay. Because I really like unprecedented. <laughs> I really like the way you put this, right? Which is the sonnets focus on Laura as an abstraction upon which the lyrical eye can produce itself. It's a poetry that moves beyond instruction or epic into the production of the self. And while I Thank wouldn't, you. I wouldn't say that I would just like pull that out and apply that to lyric games. There's something there that you could pull 100%. out and apply to lyric games with like a little <laughs> bit of massaging, right? Um, uh-huh. Which I think yeah. is just very cool, and I thought I thought you put that really well. Well, and like uh, like to uh, to do the uh, to do the pivot very slowly. We're gonna do a we're do, we're, we're slowly pivoting here. So I'm so uh, sorry, listener. I don't understand what's happening. <laughs> um, well, so here's what I was gonna suggest: is why don't we take a couple steps back and just uh, so I think we've I think we set up the the harness tweets pretty is like pretty well just in that they're tweets right uh you gave the context for who john r harness is and like what these tweets were doing was kind of going like hey we all know we're doing this thing what should we call it right like what makes sense here um and so this this abstract that we read next by evan torner lyric games genealogy of an online physical game scene is an attempt to basically trace here is this thing, right? So pointing to lyric games, which Harness very helpfully gave a name for, and saying, where did this come from? And like, what can we sort of set it alongside to help contextualize and understand it? Mm-hmm. And this, I, this I will say, is a thing that I, we, we both tried to find a full version of this because it's an extended abstract. Yeah. And it doesn't seem as though this has been sort of written into something sort of more more sort of formal or if it is it's a completely different name etc but this, yes. this is only yeah. a two-page paper right so it's it, two yeah. four yep four uh with bibliography yeah you're right four. that's yeah. what it is so it's a that's what i was remembering so it's it's four pages in the pdf but it's only two pages of text and then it's a mostly a page and a line or so of bibliography um yeah. so it's pretty short right so pretty high level um and i definitely had like a ton of questions around some of the like timeline stuff but uh mm-hmm. basically the argument here is like, hey, uh, this is how we should understand the lyric game sort of scene and like what these people are doing. And like you said, it it's sort of being set as, uh, alongside like l- literary modernists uh, as well as the sort of Yoko Ono-y kind of fluxus-y lineage mm-hmm. of, of what Yoko Ono would refer to as things like game poems. 
and, and so basically the, the this these two pages are just Evan Turner trying to say like okay how can we understand this how can I conceptualize this and what is interesting about this sort of group of designers and their games right yes which I just thought might be useful to just like step back and say this is the thing we read a hundred percent this you've done it you've completed the slow pivot <laughs> I I love to complete a slow pivot but yeah um I mean what uh, what do you, what did you want to I. I can talk about the Fluxus stuff and game poems for hours, which I'm not going to, but uh, <laughs> I, I thought I would maybe ask you what you found especially interesting about this. I mean, I think I, I think just like at the high level, it, it is kind of the, the thing that I pulled myself away from doing that we will soon pull you away from doing, right? It was finding these specific touchstones um, that Torner proposes um, and sort of engaging with them and thinking about how they do or do not fit what I understand as lyric games as somebody who's played a number of them and who's read a, actually a, a good amount, I would say at this point. Like where this where this abstract fits with what I've you know anecdotally observed versus where it, it differs, um, and 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 sort of just again sort of like um, providing a different angle on this thing that we're that we're reading the the GURPS thing, but also just generally like what is, what is cool about lyric games and what is uh, interesting and what is unique about them or versus what is like uh, drawing on, on other aspects of things. Does that make sense? I think so. Yeah. I mean, also I learned how to pronounce Paul Sega's name. Oh yeah, you did. <laughs> I saw that. I saw that in, uh, in our discord chat. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I I thought that there was, I mean, again, for being two pages, I thought there was a bunch of stuff in here. This is this is going to be a theme for both <laughs> this and GURPS, right? There's a lot of stuff in here that I was like, oh, I would like I would like to hear you say a lot more about this, right? And yes. not from a like, oh, gotcha, but from a like, oh, that's fascinating. That's not the connection I would have made, or that's not the way I would have put that. I wonder why you <laughs> put it that like that kind of stuff. Yeah. So th- that's some of some of the stuff. Uh, I I could just since we I think want to get to GURPS I could talk quickly about the thing I found most interesting, which is the thing I really liked about this piece was that it was like confirmation of a thing that I've thought about since I first basically understood indie tabletop RPGs to exist. Right. Mm-hmm. So like setting aside the specific thing around lyric and like that as a sort of a, a term but also just like a scene or a collective like just indie tabletop RPGs things that are like doing things that are a little more narrative or story based right that are like not D&D um, right <laughs> which was like how I got into it right I got in through D&D and then I started finding some things I like I probably ran into some Avery Alder stuff I, I genuinely can't remember uh, what that entire like linear like the timeline was mm-hmm. but one of the very first things I I thought of when I started reading some of these things that probably lean lyric or maybe pre-lyric or whatever was Mm. the music that I like the experimental music that I was like really into and still like a lot, but I just am not as into it as I used to be. So I, uh, I spent a a decent chunk of sort of late college and and after maybe 10 years after or so listening to quite a lot of experimental music. Um, and mm-hmm. mostly pretty specific 
sort of branches of experimental music. And so I got into this, uh, and I especially really love text scores. There's a, a pretty famous one uh, by a, a composer named Manfred Werder. Um, it's Manfred and then W-E-R-D-E-R, in case anyone wants to look him up. <laughs> uh, but I believe there's I believe there's a piece. I, I didn't look this up beforehand, and now I'm going to forget it. So uh, Werder's scores are mostly pretty are pretty simple. He does a lot of text scores. He's done a series of scores with excerpts from poetry, for instance. But he has a, I would say, uh, in in my world, <laughs> uh, pretty famous uh, composition, which is is just called 2005 with like a, a one um, after it. As though it's like the second copy of a file? Uh, sort of. It's as though... Uh, it is as though you were writing something like 2005 squared, except instead of squared, it's a one. Ah, um, okay. So he 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 will write these he will write these compositions, and he usually names them after a year, um, basically the year they were written in, and then the number is which, however many it was or whatever. Um, so 2005. So this piece by Manfred Werder, it basically consists of three words, which is place, mm-hmm. sound, time. Um, I have it up, and you got it a little bit wrong. Oh, great. What is it? Uh, it's Ort, Zeit, and then Klang. So it's place, time, and then parenthetically, sounds. Place, time, sounds. Yes. Um, yes. So, uh, the, like, we don't need to talk a lot about this. Uh, the, the point I'm making is just, like, r- reading that is very similar to a lyric game, right? Like, the lineage mm-hmm. here is very clear. So I just immediately made this connection. When I first started doing like tabletop RPG stuff where I was like, oh, these are like tech scores kind of, but you play them with people. That's cool and fun. Um, so like for me, it was just really nice to like read through this thing by Evan Turner and be like, oh, okay, I'm smart. Cool. <laughs> like, I, like I have made a connection that makes sense uh, and other people agree with. But like I, I got really interested in those things because I used to want to make music and I'm a person who really loves constraint and who loves the idea of like, here are sort of a, here's a limitation to work within, especially when it comes to sort of creation and making things, Mm -hmm. which is very much what I enjoy about tabletop RPGs too, of like, the thing I think is interesting about tabletop RPGs is that it is a series of sort of rules, right? Or a series of suggestions or instructions or whatever. And some of them are very, very detailed and very explicit and specific. And some of them are super open. But I have found consistently that if you take them seriously, no matter sort of which form they take, right? Taking seriously what the system is trying to do ends up producing really interesting results. This was my experience when I have like, you know, actually like tried to do stuff with text scores um, in music. But so I I just found it really cool and really exciting to be like, oh yeah, hell yeah. Like, I'm glad somebody is drawing this connection really explicitly. Um, And and the connection to be clear that Evan Torner draws is specifically to what it was basically the precursor to what I am talking about, right? So like Manfred Werder is like, he's he's living, he's alive. He's currently continuing to write (laughs) scores and produce, et cetera, right? Um, And some of the folks, obviously, from, like, early Fluxus are still alive. But that that is the connection Evan Torner brings up, which is sort of in this art movement, Fluxus, uh, one of the things that sort of came out of it, both from art and from dance and performance spaces and also music spaces, were these ideas of, like, text scores or uh, starts to bleed into, like, conceptual art stuff, right? Where in Yoko Ono's case, she put out multiple books, which had 
these game poems, which are basically short pieces of text that kind of tell you a thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. But some of them are are possible. Some of them are impossible. Some of them are possible if you're creative. Some of them require interpretation. And so that's the specific lineage that he's pulling out. So just personally, it was really satisfying to be like, cool. Like, I, I, I am glad somebody is like doing this work in sort of the academic setting, right? Of actually trying to like draw these things together and show how they make sense and how they work together and how they're sort of part of a, a similar set of desires or set of interests. Um, I thought that was really cool. Yeah. And then just, I guess to sort of put a button on it, cause we kind of have talked about all the major threads except for the last one, right. Which is like uh, the lineage that, that Torner draws in terms of games goes from those game poems and then specifically avoids Dungeons and Dragons yeah. by, um, you know, talking about Dream Dream is Q, Dream Apart, and the uh, Dice Without Masters or belonging, Outside Belonging system um, that was itself uh, powered by the Apocalypse game, um, and, had, and how that was inspired by Inspectors, and then there's also the lineage of, uh, uh, what was it, uh, the, uh, right, uh, Robin Laws wrote William Burroughs' The Role Playing Game in 1988. Um, that like is specifically like not <laughs> uh, not campaign oriented. Not is not interested in the same things that Dungeons and Dragons are. Um, which is also then incites, as he says, Jonathan Tweet to create Over the Edge, the first openly postmodern surrealist commercial R- tabletop RPG. So there's a there is. The lineage of modernist writing and its its break from bourgeois form. Um, there is the lineage of Fluxus and the game poems, and there is the lineage of the work inside tabletop RPGs that is done in um, in opposition to or an experimentation away from Dungeons and Dragons. Um, so all of these things uh, sort of meld together into into what his sort of it, what his genealogy is for lyric games, which I think is uh, it, I would love. To see this talk, you know, I'd love to read this paper. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. I mean, this is. Uh, uh, I came away from all of these things being like, man, I would really enjoy all of these people talking more about these things. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I had one other thing that I meant to mention earlier. Um, very quickly, uh, just in terms of uh, uh, terminology, uh, as I was researching this a while ago, that I kind of forgot about. Um, I found. There's a book from, I think it was like 2010, I don't actually have it up in front of me, called 24 Game Poems, that has a quote on the front that's, or at the top, it says, a role-playing poem is a very short game where the idea is to investigate a mood or scene or something else of limited scope. And I think this is all in, like, sort of the Nordic tradition, Mm. which is all just to say that, like, lyric games also have other precedents behind them. Uh, People have been working with the idea of of games as poetry for a long time, Um, and... Uh, and I don't really have anything more to say about it than that that exists also. <laughs> um, uh, so I just wanted to, to sort of drop that in there before we uh, before we before we finally get into the meat of this thing. Gurps, baby. Gurps. We're finally talking gurps. <laughs> the gurps we all know and love. Uh, the the famous gurps. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> it's got a it's got the treachery of images on the cover. It's. Uh, that's one of my favorite paintings. It's true. It does. The The place I would start is is aesthetics, right, then? Uh, which is, mm-hmm. so GURPS comes, comes to you as a PDF, right? If you purchase it on itch.io, it's a, 
It is a PDF, um, and it is a PDF with a, a with a lot of design in it. I would say it is a heavily <laughs> uh-huh. designed uh, document, meaning yes. it has a lot of there's a lot going on visually and aesthetically, right? Lots of different font choices, lots of different backgrounds, background colors, images. Nearly every page feels a little different with some with some repetition, right? Which is very interesting to me. Like the the rhetorical or sort of like aesthetic rhetorical moves, I guess. I don't know. The aesthetic moves are are very interesting given some of the content. And so I was curious to start there because you you knew this. You you picked this. I, I'm curious mm-hmm. when you read it. When you first read it, like, did you do, did you make anything of sort of the, the aesthetic choices? And we can talk more because it's, you know, it's a visual thing we're talking about. So I can talk more about details of individual pages, et cetera. But I'm curious when you first found this, like, what did you do with that? Yeah. So like, even before thinking about them, I, um, sort of my just like immediate affective reaction was like, uh, it, it struck me immediately as, as a very personal document right Mm -hmm. um it is it is a thing that um is written for the person who is writing it and uh and if you happen to read it that's cool uh (laughs) is like the just is the at the pure vibes level um which i it's you know i appreciate that as a uh, you know you have your experimental music i have like a history of you know listening to noise um i have a i have a I have a love of sort of maximalist uh, design <laughs> uh, that isn't necessarily the most accessible in either sense of the word. I, I like I like I like noise. I like visual noise. I like uh, I like all sorts of noises. Um, so it, it spoke to me in that way. Also, I, I guess the thing I'm interested though is that the difference I see here is that there's content being delivered here which i would argue is is very different than for instance an experimental music right and like i totally agree that that this definitely has the sense of like i am working through my thoughts and my ideas but there's also like very clear language that is to a reader and this is like for sale on on a storefront right and and i guess i'm just i I don't I, I don't know what to do with the, the combination of those two things, right? Which is there are lots of parts of this that are genuinely difficult to read. Sure, yeah. Like that are that are actually just hard to read. And like, I'm not saying that this is a bad thing. I just, I, I what I can't get to is like what that's doing. Because like, it's clear that it's a choice, right? It's like a design decision of like, this is how I want this thing to be laid out. Mm-hmm. But I, I guess I just, I, I'm I'm struggling with like what that, does and specifically because so to you you said this but to lay it out very clearly right what GURPS is is a collection of four sort of small games a bunch of sort of interrelated and interconnected sometimes loosely series of like statements maybe like polemics a little bit some of them are like Mm -hmm. kind of funny bits or jokes Um, Mm -hmm. and then two sort of longer design essays right and yeah. the two design essays are the things that are the most impossible to read in the book, <laughs> which I found just, I, again, I just found really interesting and I didn't know what to do with. And like, when I say they are nearly impossible to read, I mean, if you look at these pages, 
the text is literally overlapping each other, right? It's like mm-hmm. it's like instead of doing double spaced and then they switched it to single spaced, they were single spaced and then they switched it to like half of every line is going to overlap with every other line, right? <laughs> yes. And it, so this prompted me to to like text you and just be like, "Hey, do you have a plain text version of this?" cuz I was just having a hard time like parsing the words, <laughs> right? And I guess I'm just, like, I'm not saying it needs to do something in that it needs to, like, be productive or, right? But, like, I'm just curious what you think that, like, if you think, if you have any thoughts about what these choices, like, why these choices were made. Because I I just keep coming back to this as a thing I find really interesting about the object. But I don't, like, I I then stop. Like, I'm, I'm just, like, I'm not sure what, like, what was being done here or if it was maybe just an aesthetic choice right i just i liked how it looked right but i don't know i just uh, i ended up coming to that a, a lot in thinking back to this thing i thought it was really interesting because it's so clearly designed capital d designed in that there were choices made about aesthetics and about how text would sit and all of that and i just yeah i don't know i i ended up i ended up feeling this block a lot um of like I, I wasn't sure what to do with those choices of design. Yeah, um, and I guess for me, I, I, so I've described the vibes I got off of it, right? Which is um, this is a this is a thing for me that happens to be a thing that you can purchase or whatever. Which is a which is a mode I have I have operated in <laughs> on the internet in the past, um, but like. Maybe not for purchase, because a lot of my shit involves stealing stuff, and I don't feel like dealing with that often. <laughs> but, um, you know, I've made... I've, I've made... God, what was it? Um, at one point, I made... Uh, uh, what's the... There's no ethical consumerism under capitalism, uh, like, Sonic meme? Oh, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, at one point... I thought it would be extremely funny to write a genuine argument about the <laughs> the failures of that phrase to uh, to engage with the the particulars of capitalism. So I wrote like a thousand-ish word essay, and then I just inlaid it just behind, like just overlaid it on top of that meme and put it out as an image, and like. Yeah, I wanted those were genuine thoughts that I had that I think were were productive in some ways, but I made them very unreadable because I it it was funny is like the cop out answer, but also kind of the real answer. I, I thought it looked I thought it looked amusing to do, and and they were, it was also. A thing that like I wanted to talk with people about, but I also didn't feel like I had the exact right <laughs> take. Like this is one, this wasn't an essay that I was like, "Well, I got commissioned to write this, or I'm going to pitch this around, but I'm going to, you know, reveal it in this particular way or whatever." So there, there's the tension, I guess, between the, the the fact that this is being sold or whatever. But I don't know. There's also just like I mean, so that's the thing I'm going to say yeah. though is that like you did just bounce over that very quickly at the beginning of this, right? Which is like, mm-hmm. the, but that seems very important to me. Like that is a difference between the stuff you do and this thing, which is like, this is explicitly part of a marketplace now. And like, mm-hmm. and again, I just keep going back to like, 
and there's content here and there's arguments being made right and there's like calls to action <laughs> and like uh-huh. like th- there's very explicit language here that is like about communicating and so i guess i yeah. i guess i just keep I, i'm just saying the same thing but like i just i don't know i <laughs> I, this is a this is a mode that I find very foreign. Is, is I guess what what I'll say, right? Where like, uh, we we you and I talk a lot about this podcast and like what we want it to be or whatever. And we've we've mm-hmm. said this. It's kind of weird thing that we make, right? Like, mm-hmm. we don't do it. We we give a, a lot of historical context, but it's like really specific historical context, right? <laughs> like, uh, we constantly reference D and D. We have never explained what D and D is on this podcast, and like, sure. we just you know, it's kind of a big ocean, and you come in to it, and you you either swim with us because you find it interesting to swim with us, or you go like, well, I don't understand anything that's happening. <laughs> Uh-huh. Um, but like to me, or you take the lifeboat that is turning the podcast off. <laughs> like to to me, the the difference there, right, is like you put work into in the example you gave of making your content not readable, mm-hmm. and like that just feels like that that just feels like a a choice that that is interesting or that matters or that we should be able to do something with. But I guess maybe we don't have to do something with it. But I do, I mean, this this will be the thing I, uh, my like big overall thing is like, I, I have come away really loving GURPS a lot. Like, I think it's really interesting. I absolutely mm-hmm. kind of hated it at first because <laughs> I, I, I didn't, it still is confusing to me of like, I, you were clearly trying to communicate with me but you're also making it hard for both of us. <laughs> so like, I don't know what that's doing aside from making it difficult for me to think with this. And then I just put it in plain text and then I was fine. And I, I really enjoyed a lot of it. And there's a bunch of stuff that's interesting in here, but I just. Right. And and the, the thing to say also is the response that I gave when you asked if there was a plain text thing was like, I don't think so. Yeah, and yeah. I looked at it and I was like, of course there yeah. is. There, there actually just is a plain text document that comes with this. So like, if you want to read this and you don't, want to deal with like having to highlight uh you know a single page uh you know negative 0.5 uh line spacing thing and dump it into a text doc and then do undo all the breaks or whatever um you can pay the five dollars for the pdf and uh and get get the plain text version as well i mean it's also like it it is explicitly formatted to be a zine right um, you you can see that because page two says this page is intentionally left blank so that I can print this game as a zine and if I want to in the future mm-hmm. there are still like six copies of the zine um, so like maybe on some level it's like uh, you know I don't know what what the fold is on this or whatever but like I could see getting to smushing your big design essay onto one page by being like well if it if I if I make this readable, then the page count gets all weird and wonky. So I need to like leave another page blank or you know whatever. Um, I, I'm not a zine maker, <laughs> um, but just thinking of that in terms of like potential physical requirements um, that you that you solve in a very a very strange way. <laughs> um. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think there's a bunch of different re- ways. To explain it, I just, uh, I did not come to a convincing one. And and I know that, I mean, I know you. And so I, I know that this aesthetic is also something that's pretty in line with aesthetics you are interested in. So yeah. I guess I was just curious if, if you if you thought there was anything that's like being done here that uh, 
was more interesting than my lack of <laughs> lack of explanation. But yeah, I mean, maybe. Well, so so the the other thing is like to to sort of maybe begin speaking about specifics, right? Like one of the things that I found really fascinating in, uh, I think it's in the, another essay on saying no and, and arguing with me on Twitter, mm-hmm. um, which I think we both, we both quite liked or no, wait, sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm wrong. It's in the first one. It's in, um, this is a design essay. The, the first line of that is how do we make games easier to learn? Uh, which is fascinating given that, that that's like the only thing well you you can read how do we make games easier to learn IMO and then it becomes this weird wall of of overlapping text um immediately which is i mean that's kind of a that's kind of a funny joke um but like, like it i guess so <laughs> to me, like I guess. I guess so is it like and this is this, this is where i just like I, I listen i i i like weird conceptual art i like we like i like i like stuff but like, <laughs> this this is making an argument and asking like questions about game design, and so I, I and fun. I just keep coming back to like I don't like. Why are we making this hard? <laughs> if you want this, if you want learning games to be easy, why can't we have it be easy to read about how learning games should be easy? But uh, but yeah, like I I thought that that was. I mean, I thought that was really fascinating. Of like. This is that is exactly the thing that prompted my obsession here, right? Which is, I got to this page and was like, "Oh, this is even more unreadable than it has been." And then was like, "How do we make games easier to learn?" What the fuck? <laughs> Which, like, again, like it's a good bit, but it's also like it's the it's the frustration of like, oh, but I okay, but also I would like you to talk about this more, actually. <laughs> sure. Um. Um. And and I think this is also part of the reason why I've I've now read this a couple times, right? That um the 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 pitch here is that it's not a collection of game design anti advice, hot takes, lyric games, and other nonsense. Riverhouse Games specifically says it represents my personal growth as a designer in 2019 and acts as a manifesto for my design goals in 2020. And I I don't think I'm. I don't. I hope I'm not sounding like I'm saying that, like, because Riverhouse Game positions games positions this as a as a personal project because the aesthetics, like, immediately read to me as like I'm just fucking around, um, and like you can see it if you want to or whatever. That that doesn't obviate your issues with it e- even a little bit, but like that's how it framed itself to me as like. I'm doing this thing because it's meaningful to me and I'm inviting you in if you feel like messing around with it, but not, but also you're going to pay $5 to do that. <laughs> Except for not because there's community copies, right? This is, this is all the, the weirdness of, of itch economics also. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, but yeah, I think, I think you are correct. I, I, uh, I think this is just, this is just an aesthetic sort of difference, right? Um, and I, I, I want, I wanted to be able to come to something sort of interesting, like and productive about that tension that I was feeling, and I just don't think I got there, um, which is fine. Yeah, that's that's fair. I don't, I don't know that I have anything like. I mean, I, yeah, I, I also would love to have a like, no, 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 no. Here's what this does. Yeah. Um, argument, um, and and I think there might be one in here, but I, I don't have it. <laughs> You know, yeah. It, I mean, and that's the other. That's the thing I came to is like there's there's probably something I haven't I, I haven't thought about this long enough to 
sort of pull together, right? But there, there's clearly something going on around sort of readability and comprehensibility and ease of understanding and sort of the concern in yeah. in the text and then the form of the text. Um, yeah. But to, so to to set that aside and go back to the thing you were you were starting to talk about, which is in the design essay, it starts with, right? So this is the first of these two longer kind of design essay focused sections. Um, and this one starts with how do we make games easier to learn? And then it goes on and it says a bunch of stuff, right? Which I'm going to do a very, I'm going to try and give a very quick high level gloss. Feel free to tell me I'm wrong, but very quick high level gloss, gloss of this this section, right? Would be it's it's asking a bunch of questions, right? How do we make games easier to learn, right? The so like Riverhouse Games says I don't really like crunchy games like D and D with all of these like individual little like mechanisms that like all have a bunch of different parts and like instructions or whatever. But some people really like those things and need. Mm-hmm. need those kinds of things to help them get into role play, right? And like, mm-hmm. think about somebody who's not played a game before. And then if you gave them one of the more abstracted lyrical, like lyric games, that could also be off-putting in a very different way, right? Which is like, uh-huh. uh, you know, give somebody Burning Wheel and it's like, okay, this is a 4,000 page <laughs> book and every every page has 9,000 words on it. Like what? It, what? Uh-huh. Or you give them... <laughs> what's the worm one that I can't ever we are we are we but are but worms right you hand this to somebody and say here it's your first tabletop RPG game and they open it and it just says the word writhe or wriggle uh-huh. whichever one writhe, writhe. yeah <laughs> um like and basically the, the the point of this design essay is kind of saying like how do we make this easier because both of these things are kind of hard in different ways but like mm-hmm. how do we make it easier for people to just get in and more than that specifically to your point earlier like how do we make it fun is the language that gets used and i found i ended up i mean i said this i think to you earlier but like i ended up with a lot of questions after reading this in a way that felt very cool and good <laughs> meaning I read through GURPS a few times and every time I read through it, I would be like, oh, well, that is okay. Well, what about X? Right. Mm -hmm. And this is where I'm going to praise some of the things that like in terms of the aesthetics, like some of the things I'm about to praise in terms of the actual text feels very resonant to me. Right. So like the aesthetic being sort of like a little kind of uh, like off-putting or difficult to read or like hard to parse because each page is different. That put me off. But I could also see some people being really put off by this design essay, which in no point gives you a an answer to literally any question asked, right? <laughs> but like, I don't find uh-huh. that off-putting. I find that genuinely very thrilling and exciting, right? Because one of the yeah. things I find exciting is a person who's really good at looking at things and asking the right questions, right? And it feels like the right questions are being asked. But my big question in reading this was like, when when we say we want learning games to be easier, like what it, what are we actually saying, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, uh, are we saying that we want to write complicated games that are easier to understand? Are we saying we want games in general to be easier to get into? Uh, like, it, I think I like I think it's a really good initial thrust, which is like how do we make it easier for somebody to pick up a, a, a game system and be like, cool, this is fun. I could do this and not be put off. Right. Mm-hmm. It's a great impetus, but I, I just, yeah, I just ended up with like a lot of questions <laughs> in a very cool and kind of productive way because basically, yeah, it goes through and just kind of says like, 
uh, there's some more stuff in here. There's a bunch of stuff in here, right? Talking about power by the apocalypse and different ways people take uh, talk about moves. Uh, but basically, the the general question is, like, how, how do we get people in and how do we get people to sort of be able to read games and understand them without it being a chore? Um, which I think is an interesting question. And, and it's specifically positioning or specifically addressing the positionality of people in that way, right? That like, you could see, uh, you could see uh, an essay from, you know, like a design firm or something like that being like, here, here are best practices. This is not what this is because best practices assumes basically that like people are starting from a similar, if not identical position, right? Uh, the thing that Riverside, Riverhouse, Riverside, oh my God, <laughs> Riverhouse Games, uh, is doing here repeatedly is saying like, yeah, like you said, like I like I personally hate D and D because I don't like all this crunchy shit. But also, I can see why people need the crunchy shit. So, if I add a little bit of the crunchy shit, like Power by the Apocalypse does, that's cool, right? But then I want to contextualize that shit, and then nobody wants to read required reading, and it's 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 doing the back and forth of like of thinking through, yeah, like we want the we want people to to have this joy that we experience with this hobby or whatever and how do we address not just like you know the way to do that in the abstract but the way to do that with actual living people <laughs> um that's that was what my big takeaway is like yeah i i I deeply appreciate this as a as a as an essay. Yeah, I guess I'm kind of just repeating what you said in a very slightly different way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I, I agree because I, I think you did just do that, but uh, we're <laughs> both very smart, and um, so yeah, welcome, listener. Uh, but uh, so I, I think the thing that I found really super fascinating is that there also seems to be a bit of a switch near the end, um, <laughs> right? Which is like to start. The, the question is, how do we make games easier to learn, right? And there's this interesting switch that happens, like, as uh, they're sort of, like, working through thoughts, right? Where at the end, uh, I'm going to read, let's see, even further, games that I super love are small poetry games that are essentially, here's your prompt, now, role play. And these games mm-hmm. must be nearly impossible for people who are new to improv. Like, if I had no experience and was shy and didn't think well on the spot... Oof da. How do I role play? The system needs to support that. <laughs> so if you're presenting this new system, taking out the D&D thing, how do you soothe people's nerves and encourage them to jump in? I thought that was an interesting <laughs> switch in language, right? Which is like because it got to it, to me it got to the th- my question of like what do we mean when we say we want games to actually like to be easier to learn? I actually think <laughs> the thing that at least Riverhouse Games like means is how do we just get people playing, right? Like, how do we get people into play? Mm. Because that's how I read this, right? Which is like, the system needs to support that you take a thing and maybe it's a little scary, but how can we just get you into the play? Because that that's the, that's the next se- sentence, right? So if you're presenting this new system, how do you soothe people's nerves and, occur- and encourage them to jump in? Which I thought was, uh, again, like just kind of fun to like watch somebody think through a thing. <laughs> And I was really struck by this because I ended up being like, oh, I think that that would be my answer to the question of like, what do we actually want to be easier? And to me, it's less about learning and it's just more about the like, 
I don't, I would probably not put it as play, but it's more like, how do we just get them into the book or get them into the system so they can like get over that initial like, oh, this is scary or this is new or this is unfamiliar kind of thing. And less about like, I don't know, pedagogy or like, how do we construct mechanisms in a way that people can understand them and more about how do we get people to a place where like the idea of role playing or the idea of playing a role or telling stories together with people in this kind of like constrained and controlled way is a thing that is like exciting and fun and not sort of scary and off-putting um which again i think uh, has been amply uh sort of like there's a great <laughs> example right of like how this could go in two very wildly different way- ways right D D absolutely overwhelming in one way uh small poetry like lyric games absolutely overwhelming in a different way to different people possibly um completely so i just yeah. i i thought it was it was worth pulling that out just cuz i thought it was really cool uh to sort of see that little that little switch in thinking um yeah yeah uh we've talked about D&D do do we want to talk about fuck D&D Um, yeah, let's do it. I mean, we don't have to. Uh, but. Yeah, no, here are some more notes. I feel like I feel okay saying fuck D&D, play better games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I think the next part is actually really important, right? Because D&D has mm-hmm. enough dollars and fans that it literally does not matter what I say. They will be fine. <laughs> uh-huh. And the, the reason I, I bring this up is because I, I think it is worth saying. We, t- we talk shit about D&D on this podcast. Um, mm-hmm. and I will say for my, for my purposes, I don't actually don't have a law. Lo- I don't have a, a lot of like strong opinions about specific mechanics in D and D if I'm being honest, mostly because I haven't read D and D in a long time. <laughs> I actually mm-hmm. have the player handbook for fifth edition in my house. Um, but I have not, I have not actually looked at it, but, uh, the thing I mostly get mad about with D and D is the thing that is being gestured at here, right? Which is it just sucks all the air out of the room <laughs> and like uh-huh. <laughs> i don't actually have a problem if people want to play D. i think it's fine it's not a system i'm super interested in personally for a bunch of reasons that we've talked about right like i tend to like yes, it's not particularly opinionated. exactly right like i like systems that are, are sort of opinionated um but uh uh but i so there part of the reason why i wanted to bring this up is just because there's a fun there's a fun anecdote from my life <laughs> uh which is uh, a, a very good friend of mine, she expressed interest in trying to sort of run a tabletop game. And so I, I recommended uh, The Quiet Year to her for this game group. And so we've, we've like talked about it, you know, and she she's now run it and it went well. But uh, we had a conversation in which uh, she was telling me a story uh, about, about how she was talking to somebody uh, and was like, yeah, and so... They were like, what are you doing this weekend? And she was like, oh, I'm going to play this like tabletop RPG and tried to explain the quiet year. And mm-hmm. basically it was like three rounds of my friend being like, well, it, so it's like you're drawing a, you're like drawing a map together. And somebody, somebody was like, oh, so it's like D&D. <laughs> uh, no, no, not really. Because like you're not playing a specific person. You're playing sort of like. A community and maybe like you play a part of a community for you know like it's the quiet year and the person was like oh okay yeah so it's sort of like D&D <laughs> uh-huh <laughs> uh-huh yeah uh it's it's D&D okay oh yeah. uh and moved on <laughs> and like it's just like 
I think that this this is like a I really like this section because it is like a perfect encapsulation of my actual problem with D and D, right? Which is mm-hmm. it ju- it just sucks the air out of the room, and like it it's hard to combat against that, and like. I'm fine if people want to play D&D. That's great. Like, awesome. Like, and I'm not even just fine. And like, I'm happy. Yay. Like, play D&D if you want to play D&D. Uh-huh. Right? But like, <laughs> there are just so many other games in the world. And it, it's just wild to me how how Dungeons & Dragons has both completely captured a like cultural imagination of like what role playing is, <laughs> but also... I, I don't even think most people know what D&D is really, right? So, no, like, no, 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 it no. both sucks the air out of the room and also is, like, a weird straw man argument of, like, what a role-playing <laughs> game. Like, it's just so frustrating. If, like, you care about this stuff, right, and, like, think it's interesting and want to bring people in, like, it. anyway, uh, I just really like this because uh, th- there's just a lot of really good stuff that very concisely uh, summarizes a lot of my feelings, right, which is, like, I- I'm fine if people start with D&D. That's cool. But, like... Most of the time people come in and play D&D and then they just keep playing D&D. And like, I just wish people would know that there's a big wide world of weird stuff that's cool and fun. Well, and so that's the thing, right? That like right before this section is, is like a, yeah. there's a, there's an image of a, of a brick or like a, a stone wall with a door with some, uh, some like bones tangled up in, in, in uh, dead branches and over it there's, and there's like a little skull and a, and a big wooden door and over it it just says imagine a world where there are thousands of brilliant focused affordable games by diverse and talented artists from around the world and then imagine that everyone largely ignores this and plays the same stale $150 combat simulator oh, we don't have to we don't have to imagine it it is the world we live in yeah <laughs> Yeah, that uh, uh-huh. that was a that was a page that I particular particularly enjoyed. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I yeah. I also just a, as a small note here um, in the at the end of this fuck D and D page, um, uh, Riverhouse Games has mentioned exactly what you just said, right? Uh, like I'm cool with bringing people into the hobby with D and D and them jumping into other games, but that just but that doesn't happen most of the time. People jump into the hobby with D and D and then stay there. And then the thing that was interesting yeah. to me, and I wonder how yeah. you feel about this, is is what why this list is this list. I also maybe they yeah, try. Yeah, I also had this question. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's maybe they try World of Darkness or Cipher, Fiasco or Honey Heist if they're feeling adventurous. Um, I get World of Darkness historically because mm-hmm. those games were huge in the '90s. Like that, they nearly unsettled Dungeons and Dragons in some ways. Sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know what Cypher is. Yeah, I don't either. But yeah, I don't know Cypher. Um, I know the other two, though. Yeah, Fiasco, I kind of get, like, it, it in, in certain scenes, it is the, like, oh, you like role-playing, you, we should try this. It's quick, uh, it's funny, um, whatever. I, I would... I would say if you are if you are coming from a D and D scene, Fiasco is that thing a hundred percent, right? Because Fiasco mm-hmm. is the sort of loose story based game that you can f- maybe find at your friendly local game store, as opposed to other sure. things, right? Just because Fiasco yeah. is published by a, a bigger company, it's available in a book, right? So I like Fiasco totally made sense to me. Honey Heist was a really interesting one. 
That, I have to assume, is because Critical Role played it. Oh, did they? Okay, that's great context. Yeah, I don't, I just, I still I'm don't know what I'm pretty sure them. that's right. Uh, uh, ta- uh, the role. Adventure Zone, Taz played it, for sure. They did a, they did yes. a Honey Heist as like a bonus, I think, or something. So it, mi- it might also be that as well. Yeah. The, uh, the 27th special episode of Critical Role, also called Marisha's Honey Heist. <laughs> yes. Um, so, I yeah, I think the... Honey Heist is probably just the one that AP, like actual, like the big actual yeah. plays grabbed and glommed onto. Yeah. Um, which, by all accounts, that game seems kind of fun. Whatever. Honey Heist? Like, oh, yeah, no. Uh, Honey yeah. Heist seems great. I actually, I prepped for a, a session of that and then we didn't end up playing it. But um, I think it's a, I think it's a very cool game. It seems fun. It's a lasers and feelings kind of inspired thing. Yeah. Um, but you're playing bears and you're going to a honey convention, uh, which that's just a great that's just a great that's just a great setup. Yeah. I um I am wondering, do we want to talk about some of the games in this? Yeah. Thing? I think we can we can knock some some of these games out, right? Yeah, I think so. Um what's what's your favorite? Uh So, uh, my favorite is probably the one that's immediately after this, which is This Barn is an RPG or maybe called Barn. Yeah. It's a little hard to tell what the title is. <laughs> um let's see. I think it might just be called barn, barn, but I, let's check the plain text. Uh, yeah, in the plain text version, it just says barn as the ti- as the as the title. Okay, yeah. So I will read the entirety of this uh, this game. So barn, <laughs> settle in. <laughs> this barn is an RPG. Listen up, gamers. This barn is an RPG. Go inside, make believe. Rules aren't even real, but this barn sure fucking is. And then there is an image of a barn. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, I just think it's great. I think the language is great. I think Listen Up Gamers yeah. is a really funny way to start. Yeah. Rules aren't even real, but this barn sure fucking is. Is just, I just, it's a very pleasing sentence to me. It's very deeply funny. Fucking is subtly misspelled exactly. in both the PDF and plain text. Correct. It's, it's just a good goof. Yep. It's just a good goof. It's a good goof. <laughs> and it's more than a good goof in that, like, it's a really, I think, coming out of the D&D note right which is like fuck D, there are so many interesting and weird things out there people <laughs> should play them i love that it then just immediately goes to listen up gamers fucking go to a barn and make shit up like <laughs> it's just it's just very it's just very pleasing to me and it's, it feels like it's doing some work too of like coming off of the previous section thinking about and i think it's even doing work with like the list of games right of like Maybe they try these things, which, like, if you're familiar, you probably think, like, okay, like, Fiasco or Honey Heist, like, those are pretty light, and those are pretty, like, weird. But then it's, like, but remember how weird lyric games can be. This barn is an RPG, <laughs> right? Like, it just, it's, like, the the, the a better world is possible is a thing people say, right? But it's, like, a weirder <laughs> world is possible is in tabletop RPGs is kind of the, like, fundamental ethos of this in, in a lot of ways. Um what what uh which, which would, yeah. do you have anything about the about barn um yeah i do actually um and it just came up because is barn the 2005 to the first power of role playing games <laughs> uh no it's not <laughs> no uh, no it's a place it's i guess there's no time and then it's do the thing uh sure i also just uh completely reject yeah. the, the entire framing of the question <laughs> uh I, so to to say it in a less weird way, like you bringing up the the Verter tech score um, immediately, like that the, this game now immediately makes me think back to that, which is like 
just like just a fun thing. I'm like I, I'm happy to now have that context of like what what people have done with text scores in in the past. Yeah. Well, uh, it's so we we sort of passed over it very quickly, but like uh, it maybe is worth worth actually reading a couple of Yoko Ono things. Um, it just occurred to me just to give like to give a sense of like the, the the lineage a little bit because I realized we talked about it but like I feel like reading it especially alongside the Verder, especially alongside Barn it just makes it really clear so wall piece for orchestra to Yoko Ono is a piece by Yoko Ono this is 1962 is when it was written and the entire text of the piece is hit a wall with your head uh Fly Piece is a personal favorite. It's from 1963. Um, and it just consists of a single word, the word fly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll just read one more. Tape Piece 1. Um, and uh, it says, Stone Piece. Take the sound of the stone aging. Who even knows what that means? <laughs> um but like uh, the 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 reason I thought it w- might be interesting <laughs> is basically because mm-hmm. uh, I, I think like you are correct, right? Like setting aside the the silliness thing, which is like it was very funny, but like uh, th- <laughs> this is clearly part of this lineage. Like, and even if even if nobody who wrote a lyric game even knows Yoko Ono, right? Like. There is mm-hmm. there is something animating the creation of these things that feels very similar and interesting to me, and it is very much about like a weirder world is possible kind of thinking, which is like these things are prompts to sort of possibility, right? Um, which I find I find really cool. I guess sort of keeping it within um, what the discussion we've had so far, right? About like. The way that this barn is an RPG is like is very literally in the terms of the text a follow up to this like desire to move away from the elephant in the room. Um, th- there is something, and I, I'm not I'm going to get this wrong because like you're the one who knows about these things, <laughs> so feel free to to shoot this down. Um, but there is something um, there is something that seems to be almost like anti-authoritarian is like way too strong of a word, but a a way of, of using instructions to maybe make clear the absurdity of, of um, instructing. Yeah. I think, I think there's that that runs through. Yeah. I think there's absolutely something there. Um, And like, there's, there's, so I've been, I've been trying to, (laughs) trying to, start wrapping my brain around Bataille recently. Um, That's fun. Uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> but um, but the, I bring it up because, like, there, there's something to the, the the stuff that I... Listen, I, do, I am not an expert about the things I'm about to talk about, so please, if I, <laughs> if I am misspeaking or giving a very weird gloss, I apologize, right? But, like, the, the stuff I have sort of come to understand around, like, Bataille and, like, the earlier, like, Desaad, like, the, that sort of <clears throat> a line of thinking, there's something about, like, uh, hitting that, like, extreme breaking point and then there being possibility space or, like, getting to a place of, like, uh, the limits of language or li- limits of understanding and then you go beyond that kind of thinking. 
mm-hmm. that uh, for me, when I first ran into text scores, for instance, I-, I found it really exciting that a text score is a constraint, but it's a constraint that allowed me to think about different and new possibilities. That is the thing that I find really exciting and interesting about even just thinking about, let alone trying to play a lyric game, right? Which, but like thinking about Barn, this Barn is an RPG, it it allows me to sort of like, I don't know, it opens up possibilities of like, uh, and it pushes me into sort of, uh, absurd is the wrong word, but like, (laughs) it is pushing you into a very specific space that is constrained by quote unquote, the rules of the game. Um, But what it's doing is trying to like, uh, get you into a new place or help you think about different possibilities or think about like, okay, what is it to go uh, treat playing in a barn as an RPG, right? Like even if all you do is think about that uh, coming out of barn, I just think there's something very exciting and affirming about this general approach, which is uh, there's something to me that's very interesting about constraint plus constraint allowing more possibility and that's the thing i i see sort of in line with all of these things i don't know if any of that makes sense uh okay well so there's three other games um a figure stands alone in a room and listens to philip glass's glassworks mud liar and stick your arm into a catfish hole would you like do you have any do you have any thoughts about any of those uh i i will say i think i think mud liar is 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 a delightful is a delightful little game. I would have a hundred percent picked that as the one you would have picked first. <laughs> um, I, I really like it, but I w- will never play it because I don't like being dirty. You you presumably will play Barn at some I, point. If though. I'm ever near a barn, I'll go ahead and play it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, want me to read Mud Liar quickly? Yeah, sure. Because I, I got a different Mud Liar. You are a small amphibian who loves mud. Whenever you see mud, lay in it, feel it squelch. It feels good. Clear your mind of everything but the cool squelch of the mud. When you have squelched enough, level up. Go find some mud. I just love it. It's just great. Uh, Like, I don't have any, I I literally have no coherent or intelligent thought. This is just delightful writing. It's just all very sweet and cute, and I like it. (laughs) When you have squelched enough, level up is, yeah, yeah, it's a pretty phrase that's also very It's very, yeah, it's great. Um, the one that that uh, caught my eye was uh, is actually more to do with the design <laughs> than the actual game. Um, I just the pa- I really like the page a lot um, since we've talked a little bit about how confusing some of the pages can be. Um, but it's a figure mm. stands alone in a room and listens to Philip Glass's Glassworks. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> it's got a fucking like right above where it says that like so it, that the title is in like big ass font with like these weird like. Uh, like, you know, line um, segments, like, above and below it to make it look, like, you know, set aside. And above it, it just says, this is a role-playing game, kind of small and all caps with fucking laurels, like, <laughs> coming off the sides. Uh, and then below, it's the instructions. It says, how, how you can play. Stand alone in a room and listen to Philip Glass's Glassworks. You may look at the wall, if you like. Um, and that's overlaid over this, like, this like black and like blue tinged uh, photograph of like what looks like kind of 
cheap fake fancy silverware or like um uh, glasses and goblets i don't know do you have a read on if those are actually expensive i think you know these things more than i do oh i'll be honest i have not had the pdf open for weeks for this i just i just read my oh, that's text fair. version <laughs> that's fair that's fair um well that's my read on it and then at the at the bottom of the page um under a little cut it just says the album is streaming somewhere I am sure of it. Uh, so this is a great example of... I, so I have not looked at the official plain text. I just copied uh, and pasted stuff into, <laughs> into a document. Uh, but the album is streaming somewhere is in all caps in the plain text one. And then it just... It is, is it also in the yes. PDF? Uh, yes. But yeah. So I, I love that the, the album is streaming somewhere, I'm sure of it, is also captured uh-huh. in the plain text with the album is streaming yes. somewhere in all caps. And then it's even like a little dash and then I am sure of it and then a little dash. It's just, it's great. Yes. Uh, I love yeah. that it translated it's to, it, to the yeah. plain text as well. It's fantastic. Um, it just, I, I love, yeah, I love the design of this page. It looks, it just looks extremely goofy. The game itself is fun. I've never listened to Glassworks by Philip Glass. I probably won't. Yeah. So I guess I'll never play this game. Yeah, I, I definitely will not <laughs> ever do that. Um, but uh, I, is he? Is there? Why? Uh, oh, I just don't really like Philip Glass very much. Um, oh, okay. Uh, okay. like at all. But uh, yeah. I, so I actually think there's like I found something super super fascinating here, which is this one has, I, I think maybe the strongest like rule constraint out of all of them mm-hmm. right i think mm-hmm. this is right um i'm trying to find stick your arm into a catfish hole um definitely has some more specific things but i thought it was really interesting that yeah. uh you may look at the wall if you like uh i thought was mm-hmm. a really cool and interesting sentence in in a figure stands alone in a room and listens to philip glass's glassworks uh, because there's like a bunch of things that sort of tumble out of you may look at the wall if you like to me, which is if I was going to interpret this and try to play this lyric game, right? I would go like, oh, you may look at the wall if you like. So I should not assume that any activity is correct, right? Like, uh, <laughs> and in fact, it seems that what you should really be doing is attempting to stand alone and do nothing other than listen to Philip Glass's Glassworks. <laughs> Yes, 100%. Uh, Which, again, is just a great example of, like, I I understand that people can be very skeptical of of lyric games, can be really skeptical of, like, text scores, can be really skeptical of, like, some of the Fluxus experiment stuff. But the thing that made me really fall in love with them was understanding that these tiny little things, right, these tiny choices you make when trying to put together these sorts of, um, like, little systems or whatever or like little collections of rules and instructions uh small choices if you take this the like the rules seriously can actually lead to really interesting stuff right like i i just i i just go back to the the verter right which is like it's three words but those per- parentheticals around one of those three words matter in in mm-hmm. the same way that like I feel like a figure stands alone in a room and listens to Philip Glass's Glassworks would feel very different if the only text was how you can play stand alone in a room and listen to Philip Glass's Glassworks. The album is streaming somewhere. I am sure of it. Like all I've done is take out. You may look at the wall if you like, but it just feels very different to me if I'm going to read it as a game and take it seriously. Right. 
I would say you even even you if you take out the can in how you can play this game reads extremely absolutely yeah, which to me is just like it's just a it's a good reminder of why I like I like these things is like if you take them seriously, like they they reward that that taking seriously by like especially a well made game right like a well designed game no matter how simple or no matter no matter how complex to me part of what I mean by it being opinionated is like if I'm going to take seriously what you're telling me in your text, like then I hope that that does something right. And like in this case, it's just really exciting to look at something that again can kind of just come off like a joke and see stuff where I'm like, Oh, that's a very specific choice, right? Like that is written specifically. And like, I don't know if I'm guessing at the correct interpretation, right? Who cares? But like, Mm-hmm. I, I can I can take something from this language and I can interpret it in a way that feels very specific and that helps me understand the like power of these rules and of the suggestion and all of these things, which is cool. Like it's just uh, to uh, to go back to barn, right? Like it's just it's it's doing something in addition to just being like pretty funny, <laughs> which is cool. Yeah, totally. Um, I think that's, I mean, that seems to be the thesis we've both landed yeah. on over this conversation, 100%. right? That's like, uh, it's, this is some, you can take this and read it and it's very funny. You can take this and read it and, and get really interesting things out of it. And those two things are working together in a really fucking cool way. Yeah. So earlier we were talking, not on the podcast. Uh, I apologize, listeners. Uh, but you you mentioned something about a section we haven't talked about really called a ch- a challenge a challenge uh, the yeah. challenge of writing up a panel description for how to improve your game design by going fishing <laughs> uh, is how it starts, which is a just a great beginning. Um, but you brought up a thing that I think has now come up in all of the games and just in general, right? Which is like there's a lot of this text that is very funny. <laughs> um, and is sort of like yes. jokey, going for bits kind of thing. And this one very much so is, right? Like, the thing that I read is followed up by, uh, well, here, I'll just read it. The challenge of writing up a panel description for how to improve your <laughs> game design by going fishing is getting the tone right for, of course I come fast, I have fish to catch, and not a bunch <laughs> of conservative men with their Cabela's t-shirts tucked into their jeans. Um, and then goes through and says, here's what I've got, and lists off some titles, uh, which is, or like some sort <laughs> of bullet points from the talk which is very funny right but it's very funny but it's also doing something right like it's it's showing and demonstrating like uh like specific things sort of related to the design ideas and the design theories being expressed here and the thing you pointed out which i'll let you talk about and stop talking is that the point (laughs) of like in some ways the like secret hidden point of this section is is that games are really about sort of the the play and sort of the people um, is maybe not the best way of saying your point. So I'll let you talk. Yeah. Well, yeah. So like the the joke here that works for me, right, is, um, I, I mean, of course, I come fast. I have fish to catch is a good joke. That's <laughs> the base level. That's that's the joke. Um, but like the joke of the comparison of uh, game designing uh, as, as uh, similar to fishing is... Um, that both of these things are fundamentally about sociality in some ways, more than they are about the object that they are ostensibly producing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? 
um, you know, the, the, the cliche, like you, when you think about, you know, the, the cliche country song about fishing, Mm -hmm. the song is actually about, you know, this is how I got to know my dad or whatever. Right. This is how I got to know. I mean, (laughs) way down yonder on the Chattahoochee. Uh, <laughs> tells us right. Chattahoochee tells us it's what was it? It's it's like a little about fishing and a lot about love or something like that. I think maybe I got that wrong. But anyway, I'm just confirming. Yes, country music is doing the thing you're saying. Um, and and that, and that is reflecting a a reality, right? That like that the uh God Alan Jackson <laughs> uh that. The the bulk of your time spent fishing is the time spent is the time you spend sitting around going, hmm, they ain't catching today, yeah. are they? Uh, right, and and the bulk of the time spent playing the game is not. Here's the story. It's, uh, do you want to like? Does anyone want to drink? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, should should we should we break for some pizza really quick, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, right. Um, uh, and that's like the, that is the that is a very pared down version of it, right? Because these things do ultimately have objects. Um, and the and the other part of this, right, is since we're in this sort of like solo game um, unit, <laughs> I guess, um, uh, on on some level here on the matter of systems, like like we talked about last time, right? The even the the solo role playing game often produces its own sort of artifacts of sociality, like the journaling game is the sort of quintessential example here right um why if you're if you're just doing a thing to do it solo you could you could presumably just do it all in your head right producing a journal is producing an artifact of this moment that could could enter into the social um and and that for me is the is the is the thing that this little challenge does uh, aside from you know um having uh, <laughs> Shit like nothing biting, eh? Idle conversation and idle dreaming, which is a very good bit about yeah, talking to people while you're while you're fishing versus um, you know, idle dreaming is specifically the move in Dream Askew or Dream Apart, right? That is like take some time to yourself to think about a thing and that affects the play mm-hmm. later. Uh it, it's just it's just some it's just good shit that I think yeah, exactly folds back into what we've been talking about here, what we sort of come to, like I said, as our, our, our thesis here of like, good goof leads to being like, huh, now hold yeah. on. Well, <laughs> this tells me something. It does. Well, and, and the thing you pointed out explicitly, right, about the sociality is is the thing that stuck out to me about the second sort of essay and combining that explicitly with uh, the like second to last section, I think, uh, called "Pissed Off About the Halloween Party." Um, yes, which uh, I will say. So I'll, I'll say quickly. We can go into both in more detail, but just to give context. So there's the second sort of design essay is called "Another Essay on Saying No and Arguing with Me on Twitter." A plus name, incredible <laughs> title, uh-huh. and, and basically the 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 point of this second one is you can always just say no. And so the, the the point of this is there's an anecdote, but it's basically like if a thing is happening at a table and you're like, no, I don't, that's bad. I don't want that. Even if the rules are like leading mm-hmm. you to the thing, you can just say no. You can just say, no, that's not how that happens. I don't want that. That's not the story I want to tell or whatever. And 
it, so that that's the that's the point. I agree wholeheartedly with that. I I would assume you also yeah. do. <laughs> and and I think the 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 thing that like sets this apart from other ways of saying no isn't it it does address yeah, the like uh, lines and veils uh, aspect of that. But it also is explicitly aimed at players yeah. saying no to things that the GM does, which I think is an extremely under-discussed aspect of, of the ways you can say no in an RPG. Um, and it's, again, like you said, about wanting a better story, not about uh, personal boundaries or anything like that. Yeah, great. it's great. And to me, it, it combines with uh, the stuff in Pissed Off about the Halloween party, which I'll just read because it's like three sentences. Um, so this is, the, I think, the second to last sort of like section that's not a thank you or whatever. Um, Pissed off about the Halloween party. Sometimes a good RPG can still produce a bad play session. So what the fuck good are rules then, huh? If this game was really, quote, good, then why does this session suck so much ass? This page is brought to you by the people in this game of the final girl who refuse to engage with the central premise in the most annoying way possible. At a certain point, if you're not having fun in a game, it might be your fault. Please don't at me. Um, Mm -hmm. The thing that I really (laughs) liked about these two things together is a thing I've been thinking about a lot because uh, it intersects in my brain with like some some work stuff from like my previous job. Mm -hmm. So allow a allow a small indulgence. Um, So I've worked in project (laughs) management for a, a little bit now. And one of the things that people really get, I think, very confused about when I talk about project management is that like I am a process nerd? Absolutely, I like thinking about process. I like thinking about how things get done. I like thinking about sort of the order of operations. I like thinking about sort of where rough spots are and how we can get rid of those rough spots. All of that. I don't, but I don't think that like project management systems are magic, right? Like they're just mm-hmm. systems of like inputs and outputs and rules that are like specifically designed to do a thing. But this is a thing that I've run into uh, both in sort of RPG circles and also in sort of my project management circles, which is this idea of like systems are like they're like magical or like that they that like I don't. So like when I say, for instance, I think it uh, for me, it is important to take a system seriously, a game system seriously. What I mean by that is. I want to understand what the game is trying to do, right? Sometimes the game tells you that explicitly. Sometimes you can get that from reading the text and reading how the the mechanics interact. I'm not in any way ever saying, and because you need to follow all the rules, right? But like, I'm just more interested in taking a system seriously as like a contained thing, right? And saying like, okay, how do all of your pieces interact? And what what sort of outcomes does that seem to be sort of pointed towards? Mm Mm-hmm. And I I really liked that this is where this landed, right? Which is, you know, there's been talk about how do we get people into these things, right? Whether crunchy or light or like crunchy or more abstract, like how do we get people in and how do we get people to play? And the answer in a lot of ways is like, it's a it's about the people, right? Like <laughs> it's about getting the the right people together who are going to for instance approach a system in similar ways. But like I I was I was thinking about this in terms of uh a good buddy Ron Edwards actually, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But the thing I like about what's happening here is that the lines aren't hard. There's not very yeah. like rigid boundaries. 
what is happening in this text is it's going, it kind of all matters, right? Like the uh-huh. rules matter and the rules taken together matter. They also don't matter and they're like kind of fake and made up, right? But like mm-hmm. even in the section that's like, how do we get people to learn these things because they're so complicated? The complication isn't just a D&D complication. It is a complication of like getting into this mode is weird. Tabletop games are weird. <laughs> they're weird things we do. And uh-huh. like, I, I like that that is, there's not a resolution. What what it is, is basically saying like, yeah, you're just going to have to juggle all this stuff. It's about the people. And like, yeah, maybe take the rules seriously or like pay attention to what the game is telling you, but also don't, but also pay attention to what the people around you, like, it's just everything. It's just that it's all complicated and you kind of have to pay attention to it all is kind of where I, I ended up via reading through all of this text, which like felt pretty cool because I did not, I did not think that there was an argument here on my first read, right? And I don't know uh-huh. that I would I would want to probably couch it as like a, an argument exactly, right? But there is a line of thought here that is like actually pretty clear and like pretty easy for me to understand as I started thinking thinking with it. And I don't know that I even have a good way of articulating it, which also feels kind of good good in a way, right? Like I don't have a way <laughs> of summing up GURPS in a sentence, but like... It's that it all kind of matters in in a sense is sort of one of my takeaways. But I really like the specifically the thing I like about tabletop games as systems is I am interested in how those systems interact with people. Right. And like Mm -hmm. for me, a lot of times that's thinking, thinking about how table play might happen because I don't I often read. I'm not often playing. Um. But yeah, I don't know. I I I am interested in like personally I am interested in seeing how like rules and people intersect, right? <laughs> and like if we take a system seriously as people, what does that kind of do and what does that allow us and like what kind of possibilities does that allow, et cetera. And I just found it really really cool to like get to the end of this thing and go, oh, Yeah. Okay. Like you're doing real work here in addition to also being very, very funny. And like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, I don't have a good summary. I just, I I really liked how these things all ended up fitting together that the, the system matters in some way, but really like the thing that matters is the, is the people and how the people are going to use that system. Um, Like the system, the system and the people are the thing that I find interesting. It's the combo. So I guess the summary. Yeah. And and maybe to like um, I don't I don't have the end of this thought quite yet, but hopefully I'll get there. Um, I th- I think that like, is actually uh, the motto for the podcast for both of us. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's ex- yeah, <laughs> that's fair. Um, but to like to try telescoping back just a second, right? Like one of the reasons I picked this um, very strange thing that doesn't like you said that maybe has a through line or three, but not an argument for this episode, right? Is that, like, this to me speaks to my experience with being largely a reader and an occasional runner of lyric games in a way that other, like, that the, you know, the definition that we read, the abstract that we read, um, help with, but don't sort of get at the heart of. Um, for basically all the reasons you're you have just articulated, right? Yeah. 
um, the, the things that we've been sort of working through this entire time, right? Like, w- what is a lyric game in in my experience, right? Generally, it's a pretty... It's either funny or interesting, mm-hmm. right? Because there's plenty, plenty of lyric games that I look at and go, that's a that's fascinating that you could you would try to make a game out of that. Um, again, I go back to Erasure all the time with that. Um, this is what I'm thinking of there. Um, but like there is a there's a clear affective stance that the game is taking, right? Um, that you get right on the front. Um, thinking of Riverhouse games as other, uh, you found a rainbow, um, right? Like. There's a clear affective stance in there, which is like, love Kesha as much as I do. Um, and I say that I to mean both me and the creator of the game, and specifically the album Rainbow, right? Um, and, and then and then engage with queerness in this way. Um, so they all, I think lyric games, I'm not going to, I just almost did it. I just almost did the thing of being like, here is the definition <laughs> of lyric games, which is exactly what I'm saying is is not what what this does um but but we get through reading this we got to the place where we can think of of lyric games in some ways as like uh games with a a strong affect that open up like possibilities um and that are concerned primarily with how the interactions that they promote touch people and and allow people to touch other people right um yeah and I, and I think you need something weird like this to get to that point, or at least I do. Maybe I shouldn't uh, <laughs> shouldn't universalize in that way. Um, I mean, I, I, like I, I, yeah. the, I mean, to that point, right? I, like, I think the thing I found really interesting about what you just said is I just went back to the tweet thread, and for me, I think mm-hmm. the tweet thread does the exact thing you've just described. And I think mm-hmm. for you, GURPS does the thing you've described, right? Which I think is just that's just different ways brain work, right? I actually feel like there's a sure. very real sense in which some of what John R. Harness is doing in these is also a little bit of play, right? Thinking about mm-hmm. where those lines are, trying to draw those lines, but not be too hard about it. Uh, I think that's cool. Like, I'm, gl- I'm glad you talked through that because I think that's that's interesting. Uh, and it's cool that you picked these three things, right? Because like, in a very in a very real way, these are three things trying to do a very similar thing, which is go... And around the same time, right? As you said earlier. Okay, we're doing this thing. <laughs> or I see this thing. <laughs> what, what is it? What is it? How can uh-huh. we explain it? How can I even make sense of it? And these are three different ways of doing that. Um, I probably am much more sort of uh, inclined towards the John R. Harness, Evan Turner approaches. Mm-hmm. And you are uh, much more of a of a uh, Riverhouse Games GURPS person, <laughs> right? Like... And I think what's cool is that we we all we both t- were able to take from all three, but uh, it's been very it's been very helpful hearing you talk through GURPS because it has helped it has helped it make more sense to me. It made sense to me, right? But like, I don't mm-hmm. I could not articulate for you anything I, from earlier about like the aesthetic stuff. It's not like I have an answer, but I have an effective answer if that makes sense, which is the thing mm-hmm. you just went through, like. It, it works for you. <laughs> and uh, us talking through this has helped me basically relate it back to the other two things. And so suddenly they they all kind of resonate with each other in a way that uh, that is stronger than before we started recording, which is cool. 
Well, luckily, we don't have to do that on this show because uh, our our choices have nothing to do with one it's another. It's true. Is it time? Um, is it time to talk so about next episode? I I think it's time for you to drop whatever weird bombshell you've been holding over my head for like two weeks. <laughs> okay, well, for one, it has not been two weeks. I think that conversation was Saturday. <laughs> it was a week ago. Uh, so that's okay. like four days. Um, so it's not it so it's not big. Uh, it's small, which is. Uh, <laughs> So before you click on anything, so here's here's a little history for both you and the listener. So I did a little digging earlier, and I was curious. I remembered sending you a message that was something along the lines of, okay, listen, I may have smoked a little, but what if we started a tabletop RPG book club? And so I went back and looked, and my the exact text was, okay, so I'm stoned, but... <laughs> <laughs> what if we started a tabletop RPG book club? Uh, I sent you that message on uh, January uh, 12th, I want to say, of 2022. When I okay. sent you that, I had I, I sent it to you because I had three games in mind that I was like, these could be our first three episodes. I think they'd be fun. So given mm-hmm. what I talked about earlier in the episode... We have three. We have three game episodes left. Ah, uh, yeah. In okay. this year and in this oh, uh, this season, so seven point two, did we eight point two, and nine point two are going to be the three initial games that I had in a list. Uh, did we talk about this list at any point, or this was this just, was in, just in my head? I never shared it. The only thing okay. I, 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 because I read through this earlier, the only thing I mentioned was actually Troika in that first conversation. It was the only specific oh, uh, system I mentioned. Is I said I'd really like to reread Troika, and I think that'd be fun to talk about. Um, we, and we did, and we did, and it, and was. it was. So yeah. So for the next for the next three point two episodes, we're gonna go through, and this is this is my favorite version of a series, a series that no listener is going to care about because it they don't uh-huh. make any sense. <laughs> the the only uh-huh. thing that ties these three together really is that they are games that I knew we were both interested in. And so I thought it would be fun to talk about. And so okay. now you can click on the link God. for the first of these games and I can talk a little bit. Um, Google Drive. Okay. We got 7.2 yep, secrets. So there's, there's the two items in there. Oh. Yeah. So oh. one of the first games I wanted to talk uh, about <laughs> in, this, in sort of my initial conception of this is Dogs in the Vineyard. And so we're going to talk about Dogs in the Vineyard. Um, yeah. You will notice that there is a second PDF in that folder. Um, yeah. So let me let me give a little, a little background. I'll go into more of this next episode. But um, Dogs in the Vineyard is a an RPG by D. Vincent Baker. Um, D. Vincent Baker, pretty famous uh, in sort of Tabletop RPGs, right? <laughs> Lumpley Games, powered by the Apocalypse with his wife, McGay. Um, Baker, mm-hmm. uh, uh, they wrote Apocalypse World, right? Which sp- launched essentially like contemporary indie tabletop RPGs via like powered by the Apocalypse in a lot of ways. Uh-huh. And uh, they wrote Firebrands together, D. Vincent Baker and McGay Baker did, which is great. But yeah, so D. Vincent Baker wrote this book, Dogs in the Vineyard. Um, it is a tabletop RPG. It came out a while ago. It is a is a pretty weird RPG. It is also no longer available. So I I uh huh. That's why I thought we weren't. Well, yeah. Do it. So I, I did some poking <laughs> around, and basically the the thing I found interesting is that Vincent Baker basically said, "Hey, I don't really want to sell this anymore because he was playing around in the game with sort of Western tropes, and uh, he basically was uncomfortable with the fact that he didn't." He, he didn't think about that, right? He didn't do any of the work to sort of make sure that he's not sort of bringing in a lot of 
a lot of the baggage that can be involved in sort of like Western genre fiction. Um, yeah, co- colonialism. colonialism and, you know, yeah, genocide. absolutely, a big one. And and basically, <laughs> yeah. what he has said is, I, I could go back and reskin this, but I don't. I don't really want to. Like, I don't really want to go through and do that work, and I'm just <laughs> uncomfortable having it out there. And so, I'm going to take it down, uh, and it's not for sale. The I did a couple of things that made me feel good about doing this. One is. I actually looked, I knew I had bought the PDF of this like a billion years ago. And so I went and I found my email. The entire, op, like I, I downloaded a new version of that PDF. Like I was able to click on that link and go and re-download it. So it is not as though he has removed it from the internet. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's not like he's like, nobody should ever read this. And then the second, so the second PDF that is in there is um, a PDF that I, I think is a fun bonus, but is not is absolutely not what we are going to primarily talk about. But basically, yeah. I stumbled upon the second PDF, which is at some point somebody was like, "I really love dogs in the vineyard," and I think as a like a system of mechanics, setting aside theme and like the world, I think the mechanics are really fascinating, and I would like to use them. And this person reached out to Devinson Baker and said, "Hey." Would you be interested in this? And basically, Devin's Baker was like, oh, sure. If you want to abstract the systems, go ahead. And so we will be reading Dogs in the Vineyard. And I figure at the very least, we can look at this sort of abstracted version of Dogs in the Vineyard. But mostly, I want to talk about Dogs in the Vineyard. So Dogs in the Vineyard is a tabletop RPG about playing sort of enforcers of a very strict religious sect that is essentially Mormonism. Um yeah. It deals with a lot of really intense stuff around religion, um, or vi- violence, uh, punishment, etc. Um, yeah. But it is a it is a book. It is it it was a book that I read, and it was probably one of the first books that really made me go like, "Oh, you can do a lot with these things, huh?" Okay, interesting. <laughs> And I think that's historically Correct. its place yeah. as well, right? Because if if I'm not mistaken, and we'll go more yep. into this, right? Dogs in the Vineyard is is from the Forge era or just before. It's like very early on. I think it, it, he is he's at the Forge when Correct. this comes out, and this is one of the early games, along with uh, Paul Sega's uh, My Life mm-hmm. with Master, and which gets um, name checked like a Ron few Edwards. times in this. Yeah, also oh, Troll really? Babe gets, <laughs> um, gets name checked a bunch of times. Yeah, I was gonna yep. say Troll Babe or Sorcerer. Like these are these are some of the Absolutely. pillars of. Of the forge early on. Well, and um, uh, the little bit of the little yeah. bit of digging is, I, I think, Dogs in the Vineyard is also pretty uh, notable because it was one of the first to like really have quite a lot of financial success. It seems like. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, I I I'm excited to talk about this. It's gonna it's gonna it's a weird it's a weird game. We're gonna. This is gonna be a long fucking episode, BW. It doesn't have to be. We are in complete control of our outline and what we talk about. I'm. I am telling you that we're gonna have a lot to talk about. Yeah. Uh, and we can pick. And we can pick. I'm, I'm saying that in a positive way. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I think it'll be fun. Um, and then I, I already know the next, the next two things we're gonna read. I've, they've, they've been on a list since January of last year. Um. So, cool. but yeah, so that's my, that was my big surprise is I, I'm doing a series with our point two, our point uh-huh. two episodes. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Okay. Um, shit. I, I think I can see my uh, physical copy of Dogs in the Vineyard right behind me. Oh, cool. Um, 
Yeah, I, so I also bought this a million years ago, and I have I have run you it. You have, once. it's true. Um, yeah, uh, like I said, I think I think I th- I think we're gonna have a lot to talk about in this next episode, um, and it, and I find it just a little bit daunting, but mostly extremely exciting. <laughs> sure, because I've never really gotten to talk with anyone about dogs in the vineyard. I've just like had it here in my head for like ten years. <laughs> uh, yes, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I started it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right. Well, um, on that on that bombshell, um, I think I actually I think I said this, but I think I also have the next the next three picked out. I just don't know the order yet, and they're not really a series either. So, until mm-hmm. then, where can people find you on the uh, internet? You can find me on the internet on Instagram, Instagram.com slash bakery slash workshop. It's three words, all spelled out. All smushed together. Where can people find you? I'm at B Gabriel on Twitter. Uh, yeah, probably somewhere else. Also, at this point, I think I'm B Gabriel at itch dot io. Also, since that's come up a bunch today, yeah, I'm at B Gabriel at sure. itch. You uh, you can uh, you can play. God, uh, you can play my games Welcome to the City, My New Friend, a tabletop role-playing game about uh, friendships in the city. You can play my game, uh, it's a twine game that I put out last year called Dreams of the Devoured, which is based on a, a, a tabletop role-playing game setting. You should you um, should do both of those, that, but the second one especially. Yeah, it's fun. You can t- just take a look at the cover and, and you'll see exactly what we're talking about in terms of me and my <laughs> aesthetic preferences. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for illegible shit. Yeah. Um, go, and then go to my Instagram and see that uh, everything is very composed. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, we did, right, it. we did it. Thanks, everybody, for listening to us talk for a long time, All, as always. Look forward to even longer next time. Ah. <laughs>